Although we've almost finished episode 17, we felt some of the information we developed in the last week is really a continuation of the last episode and should really be heard before we go back to the Richmond case. One thing we've been able to research is the history of D'Angelo's family in Exeter. We now know that his brother-in-law accepted a new phone company job in January 1965, and the family moved to a house on E Street in Exeter around that time. We think that's the reason D'Angelo's mother and her second husband picked Tulare County for their wedding later that same year. D'Angelo was discharged from his military service in 1966, so we realized that we should look back to 1965, which we've done. Yes, that meant reading at least a thousand pages of information. We were familiar with a lot of it. We've studied the family history and activities of dozens of men who lived in Exeter in those years. However, once we started pulling and organizing facts, it changed everything we thought we knew about the VR. Reading about crime in Exeter in the 1960s was generally sleep-inducing. Weeks went by with only the occasional arrest for a funny cigarette or stolen tractor battery. There were car prowls, kids huffing paint in an orange grove, or tearing things up on a stolen tractor. Those stories amounted to front-page news during these years. Generally, half of the front page covered the debate over whether or not girls would be allowed to wear slacks to school and the exact measurement of the allowed skirt length. The other half was dominated by horrific traffic accidents, drownings, and crop reports. Exeter was very predictable. However, we did find a few more notable exceptions. Exeter Sun, April 3, 1968. Collins' home is burglarized. The Joe Collins' home at 226 South E Street was burglarized between 1 and 2 p.m. yesterday, the Exeter Police Department reports. The burglar entered through a window and took two watches, $50 in change, some old coins, costume jewelry, and some credit cards. No one was home at the time. Police report that they are searching for a suspect around 19 years of age, 5 foot 8 to 6 foot tall, with dark complexion and dark hair. This person was sighted around the home by neighbors. Although we don't have any detailed reports, it appears that burglary was part of a spree that day on E and F streets, about three blocks north of D'Angelo's sister's house. Exeter Sun, April 10, 1968. Report strangers acting suspiciously. Effie Stewart, whose home was one of those robbed recently in the series of daylight burglaries on North F Street, has asked the son to publish the following suggestion to help prevent what he feels could become a wave of robberies. A past scoutmaster and firm believer in being observing, Mr. Stewart believes most people are aware of what goes on in their own neighborhoods and are bound to notice any stranger indulging in suspicious activity. A good description of the person and the license number of his vehicle, if any, should be reported immediately to the police. Maybe people are afraid of getting involved, he said, but added that by reporting detailed descriptions immediately to the police, they might be protecting their own homes. If these thieves knew their actions were being observed and reported, maybe they might think before trying another robbery, he said. We noticed that in all of the years between 1965 and 1976, Effie Stewart appeared to be the only one who made a public statement and call to action over the residential burglaries in Exeter. His name comes up again later in this episode. This is from the Exeter Sun, May 8th, 1968. $4,000 in radio gear stolen while owner is at ham meet. 
Ham radio equipment valued at over $4,000 was taken from the radio shack of Don Walter Saturday night. Mr. Walter was attending a ham radio operators convention in Fresno at the time the theft took place. The gear, which included a transmitter, receiver, and numerous radio components, was taken by a thief who kicked in a door of the radio room located next to the Walter garage. Mr. Walter states that he and his wife stayed overnight in Fresno Saturday, and when they returned Sunday, he found the door to the radio shack standing ajar. When he noticed that the door facing had been splintered, he went to a side window of the shack, peered inside, and discovered that the equipment had been taken. The thief was very selective, Mr. Walter stated. He took only the best equipment. Each unit was carefully removed, as if it had been done by an expert. Radio components were also taken by the thief from a parts cabinet. He took the drawers the parts were in. Mr. Walter comments, He took only the most expensive parts I had on hand. Evidence at the scene indicates that the thief parked his car at the intersection of Road 196 and Avenue 300, approximately one quarter mile from the Walter residence. He then walked to the house, checking to see if it was occupied. It appears that he then kicked open the door to the radio shack, removed the equipment, and then drove his car to the house to load it. Exeter Sun, July 24, 1968. Rural home robbed second time. Burglars robbed the rural Exeter home of Don Walter for the second time in three months last night, taking items valued at $617. The burglary occurred between 5.15 p.m. and 6 p.m. last night. The thieves entered the house by forcing open the rear patio door while the Walters were away. Taken in the burglary were two 22 caliber Winchester rifles, a 22 caliber Ruger rifle, a 410 Springfield auto shotgun, a 144 caliber Bavarian rifle, a pair of field glasses, a Zenith radio, and a Smith Corona typewriter. They also took $30 in quarters, $14 in pennies, and three $1 bills. Deputy Kenneth Dees investigated the burglary. The Walter home was previously burglarized on May 4. At that time, the thieves took $4,000 in ham radio equipment. To date, none of the equipment has been recovered. The ham radio theft originally was a weird one for us to pull. On the surface, it didn't look like a VR case, but there was something that just felt right about it, a brain itch. A couple of things were obvious. The ranch was in a remote area north of Exeter, but it was right by the section of the Friant Kern Canal where Jennifer Armour was discovered by a rancher in 1974. And the MO of the parking and walking was unusual. One quarter mile is always around the distance we imagine for the VR and EAR to park away from his prowling so as not to have his vehicle associated with the crimes. That house was a big risk. The road dead ends at the canal, so his only way out was the road where he parked. Presumably, he approached the house through the groves so as not to be seen by neighbors. There would have been swift justice at the end of a shotgun barrel if he'd been caught out there. We don't know why we thought the VR was into ham and CB radios, but we did. The person who hit the radio shed seemed to know the equipment was there and that the Walters were away at the ham convention in Fresno. Also, the description of the crime made us think he was taking it for himself, to be used, not sold. Needless to say, we were pretty satisfied when we saw the first news cameras at D'Angelo's house. There it was, a masked radio antenna on top of his house. We have a photo of it posted on our Facebook and web pages. Some of you may have heard that one of the Offerman Manning condo neighbors in Goleta was from Exeter. 
that family's ranch was right at the corner where the ransacker parked his car the night of the ham radio theft. We're going to find ourselves back up there later in this episode. This is from the Exeter Sun, March 5th, 1969. Exeter police car stolen and recovered on same night. Police officers from Exeter and Farmersville and sheriff's officers joined in the dragnet for an Exeter patrol car, which was stolen Thursday night and recovered three hours later. The patrol unit was reported stolen after 7 p.m. Thursday. One Exeter officer was on duty and the other patrol car had been left behind the police station. The officer noticed it missing shortly after 7 p.m. and after a quick check to see if one of the other officers had taken it, the radio broadcast was put on the wire. Chief Elmer Morehouse, coordinating the search from the police station, received an anonymous tip concerning the location of the car at about 10 p.m. It was found on Avenue 288 near the Frank Kern Canal by Assistant Chief Zeb Bolin, Sheriff Sergeant Carl Sisk, and Detective Corky Weaver. The County Mobile Crime Lab made a thorough check of the car and area after it was recovered. The case is still under investigation and clues to the identity of the car thieves are being checked out. In addition to local police and sheriff's units, a Farmersville patrol car and officer were loaned to the Exeter Police Department for the duration of the search. The location of the car was Neal Ranch, the same place Donna was killed. We've put up a photo of the scene of the recovered car. It not only attracted half the police in the county, but the newspaper as well. We wanted to note this theft was totally bizarre and nothing like any other stolen vehicle or joyride reports we've seen in Exeter. It has everything, taking a police car from the station and then calling in the location. It's hard to know if the goal was being smarter than the police or creating a diversion so the only patrol car on duty would be tied up for hours. The ransacker could have been peeping, prowling, or standing next to people while they slept. We'll never know. Exeter Sun, April 16th, 1969 home robbed in daylight. A piggy bank burglar is being sought by Tulare County Sheriff's officers. The burglar entered the unlocked Merton Homer home in Three Rivers Friday afternoon, taking items valued at nearly $400, including a child's piggy bank with $25 in change in it. Taken in the burglary were the piggy bank, a shotgun, a rifle, a movie camera, a man's wristwatch, a transistor radio, one narcotic pill, and $50 in cash. Deputy Errol Moffat is investigating the case. From the Exeter Sun, September 3, 1969. Pants, wallet, stolen. Wilbert Gerard Killingsworth went to bed Monday night in his home at 32815 Sierra Drive, Lemon Cove, laying his pants, underwear, and wallet, containing $267, on a chair by his bed. When he awoke Tuesday morning after a sound sleep, he discovered his pants, underwear, and wallet were gone. Sheriff's officers are investigating the theft of the stolen articles, none of which have been recovered. Why would he take the pants and underwear with him? Wouldn't you just leave them in the living room or yard on your way out? They were never found. We can't help but think about Jennifer and Donna's pants and underwear, the EAR showing up at a few scenes without any, and then throwing the December 18, 1976 victim's clothing in a neighbor's yard. It's also weirdly specific and creepy. From the Exeter Sun, December 17, 1969. Vandals destroy records. Vandals entered the Fine Arts Center at 115 Northeast Street Sunday night or early Monday morning, ransacked the office, destroyed file records, and stole an estimated $15. 
Exeter police are investigating the case of malicious mischief at the drama, dance, and art studio owned and operated by Mrs. Ward Evans and her daughter Sally. Also December 17, Mother's Screams Scare Away Prowler An Exeter mother's screams frightened away an unidentified man who was climbing through a window into her children's bedroom at 2.25 a.m. Tuesday. Mrs. Billy Jo Stevenson of 1007 East List, Exeter, told sheriff's deputies that she was awakened by her youngster's cries, went into their bedroom, and saw a heavy-set man entering the darkened room through the window. Mrs. Stevenson's screams woke her husband, who grabbed a rifle from the bedroom closet and ran into the children's room just as the would-be prowler crawled back out through the window. Mr. Stevenson fired the gun, hitting the window as the suspect fled on foot. Tulare County Sheriff's Department, who are investigating the case, were assisted by Exeter Police at the scene of the crime. Okay, other than the Armour and Richmond homicides, this was by far and away the scariest thing we saw in Exeter between 1965 and 1976. There is no question that there was a cat burglar in Exeter. It was a crazy risk to enter a house full of people, as evidenced by him almost being shot to death. For what? To practice creeping around? To disturb a purse or wallet? Maybe steal another pair of pants? This guy was obviously incredibly dangerous, and he was breaking in on List, directly across the street from the secluded Grove Road where Donna Richmond's bike would be found almost exactly six years later. It was an easy walk from D'Angelo's sister's house in 1969, less than a mile through the orange groves. The ransacker liked that location. He hit right next door ten months later. Exeter Sun, October 7, 1970. Steel cash, weapons. Two weapons and $233 in cash was stolen from the Jamie Freeburn residence on Exeter sometime between Friday night and Saturday morning. Sheriff deputies are investigating Freeburn's report that someone entered his locked residence at 931 List Street and made away with money, one revolver, and another weapon. Value of the stolen items was set at $583. Exeter Sun, February 3, 1971. Leave the home upset. The James Scroggins home at 304 Plum Street, Exeter, was in order when they left for the evening to make a trip to neighboring Porterville. But when the family returned home around midnight, they could hardly believe their eyes. Clothing was scattered around the place. The eight or nine guns that stood in the gun rack were thrown around on a bed, and some ransacking had been done. The Scroggins found nothing missing, however. The ransackers gained entry to the house through an unlocked window. Exeter Sun, March 3, 1971. For obscene phone calls, what to do? What should a person do when he becomes the unfortunate victim of an obscene telephone call? What steps can be taken to protect against any unpleasant experiences? The Exeter police have been asked these questions frequently in recent weeks, questions posed by local residents on the receiving end of dirty phone calls. Because of a recent wave of these calls, the police advise the following procedure be followed by anyone who receives a lewd telephone call. Notify the police or telephone company immediately after receiving the call. The telephone company can put a tap on your line if the victim signs a form of waiver. Exeter Sun, April 21, 1971. Steel Piggy Bank. 
A rural Exeter residence was burglarized sometime Monday with approximately $475, including a coin-filled piggy bank, stolen from the locked residence. The victim was Gary E. Hester, 18985 Avenue 256, who was away at the time of the burglary. Sheriff Deputy Bill Shell reports that one piggy bank with $25 in coins was stolen, along with one portable TV, a shotgun, and one 22 caliber rifle. From the Exeter Sun, November 24, 1971, two rifles, shotgun stolen. A burglary took place in the Woodlake area at the residence of Freddie Callison, who lives at 39428 Millwood Drive, Woodlake. Unknown suspect or suspects entered his residence, took two rifles, one shotgun, and one 38 caliber revolver from a bedroom. Total loss was listed at $217.50, reporting officer Tom McKinney from headquarters of the sheriff's office. The theft occurred between 9 a.m. and 1.10 p.m. on November 22nd. Also on November 24, doctor's office robbed. Entry was made to the office of Dr. Floyd Bolton, 125 Crespi Street, Exeter, by using a glass cutter to cut a portion of the window pane out, which exposed the window lock. Stolen were a portable TV, wall clock, and a stethoscope, with a total loss of $224.95. Officers dusted for fingerprints with negative results, according to Officer Mayberry of the Exeter Police Department. This theft occurred November 22nd. Exeter Sun, July 12th, 1972. Sheriff's men investigate burglaries. A burglary which occurred July 4th at the home of Al Griggs, 953 North Filbert, Exeter. The suspect approached the residence through an orange grove, forced open a back door, entered the residence, and removed a jewel box containing assorted jewelry and a coin purse with a total value estimated at $545. The suspect exited by the same route. The case is pending, according to the Sheriff's Department. From the Exeter Sun... December 27, 1972. Home ransacked. A tape player was stolen from Harry Collins in his home ransacked during a burglary at 325 West Maple and reported to the Exeter Police at 7.45 p.m. December 24. Entry to the house was made by breaking a window. This occurred the same holiday week as the incident we mentioned earlier in episode 16, where items stolen from the First Baptist Church were found in the library with a tape recorder stolen from an unknown location. We're going to hazard a guess that it was the same tape recorder stolen from the Collins house. The Exeter ransacker was definitely messing with the police and practicing the character that later became the VR. From the Exeter Sun, January 10, 1973. On January 7th, during the morning hours, someone used a wire hanger to open the kitchen window screen of Sarah Brown's residence, 416 North E Street. Mrs. Brown, who was at church at the time of the theft, told police miscellaneous household items of undetermined value were missing. The cases are under investigation. Exeter Sun, February 21, 1973. Burglaries of homes reported. Jim Jilsey, 865 West Firebaugh, lost handguns, watches, money, and an antique clock to thieves February 16. Entry to the home was made by removing a screen from a rear window. This is the point where D'Angelo moved to Exeter and began his career with the Exeter Police Department. The first known VR burglary was about 10 months away. July 11, 1973. Car stolen, then wrecked. 
A car stolen in Lindsay from Jerry Dossie Jr. early July 8 wound up in Exeter smashed against the Runciman packing shed on Rocky Hill Drive after Exeter police officer Joe D'Angelo saw the two occupants of the car acting in a suspicious manner. He pursued their vehicle at a high rate of speed in his patrol car. The two fled on foot after the 4.40 a.m. accident in which the stolen vehicle was demolished. Exeter Sun, March 20, 1974. From the police blotter. Two stolen bicycles were reported to police on March 18th. David Crow, 328 and 1 North C Street, lost a 10-speed lime green Schwinn bike valued at $150. George Sargent, 300 South Quince, described the bike stolen from him as a metal flake blue Schwinn Stingray valued at $20. Several windows were broken around town and reported to police Friday and Saturday. John Cook, manager of the RN Market, said someone shot three holes in the market window. Found in the store were BB shots. A door window at Wilson Junior High School was broken. Asphalt clods were lying nearby. Rita Cavagnaro, 609 Channing Way, reported that someone had thrown a stick of firewood through the sliding glass door of her home. And Evan Pinkham, 1615 South Belmont, reported that someone had thrown something through a window of his home. There is no question that crime increased in the year after D'Angelo arrived in Exeter. It's reflected in the statistics and was a frequent newspaper headline. We've touched on some of the burglaries, but what we hadn't noticed were crimes we assumed were common in Exeter, activities that actually exploded between 1973 and 74. There was nothing about them that screamed VR to us, but we think we were wrong. The details are mundane, and there are dozens of incidents, so we'll broadly explain the categories. The first thing we noticed were bike thefts. Not the kind where the bike is taken and never found, or someone is caught later riding it or trying to sell it, but the kind where the bike is taken at night from the yard, garage, or porch of a residence, and found the next day. Someone was riding stolen bikes around Exeter at night, and he did it a lot. Although we found plenty of reports of police catching traditional bike thieves, they never seemed to find the bike borrower. Another crime that exploded after D'Angelo's arrival, literally and figuratively, was arson. Really big fires. We haven't had time to tally up how many large fruit packing houses, barns, and other commercial structures burned from May 1973 through August 1976, but there were dozens, and we didn't see anything like it before or after. Several were officially ruled as arsons, others undetermined, but nobody was ever charged in any of them. In addition to actual fires was a bizarre spike in false alarms. They sent police and fire crews responding in all directions, night after night. There was also a rash of car vandalism. We actually found very little of this type of activity prior to 1973, so it was a noticeable shift. Some of it seemed like targeted revenge, all of the tires punctured, or the windshield smashed in the night, but others were bizarre and seemed manufactured to generate a quick and time-consuming police response. Hitting all of the cars in a parking lot during a football game, or in the bowling alley on league night, those were discovered in the late evening between 9 and midnight and tied up patrol officers for hours as they talked to witnesses, collected evidence, and gathered report information from multiple victims. Another thing we hadn't seen before in Exeter were bricks, rocks, and other objects being thrown through the windows of occupied homes and downtown businesses with alarms. 
Again, the single Exeter or TCSO patrol car in the area would get the call and be tied up at the scene dealing with the victim or waiting for the store owner. Sometimes they would even call in extra help to search for the smasher, drawing even more resources into the area. Our first thought about all of this was obviously diversion. Send the police, especially the single Exeter PD or TCSO patrolling the area on night shift, either far away or tie them up with long scene response and paperwork. However, on most of the nights we saw these other activities, we didn't see any signature VR-type burglaries. This seems to confirm something that we've long suspected. The VR and EAR only showed law enforcement the crimes he wanted them to see. Those were probably just the tip of a giant iceberg, with a huge number of peepings, prowlings, and cat burglaries unseen and totally undetected. We can't stop wondering how many nights Exeter Ransacker stood over sleeping residents just watching and thinking. The first official VR burglary occurred in March 1974. The Google map posted with this episode now includes all of the identified Exeter ransackings. It's really interesting to look at the activities in date order by scrolling through them from the left side of the map. Exeter Sun, March 20, 1974, from the police blotter. A residential burglary at the Exeter home of Pam Becerra last night netted the thief coins valued at $50. Some of our listeners have seen interviews with a former Exeter PD officer named Farrell Ward. He started with the department in March 1974, so he served about two and a half years with D'Angelo. The Exeter Sun covered a typical night on patrol a few months later. From the Exeter Sun, June 26, 1974, a night in the life of a police officer gets awfully lonely. One of the biggest chores of police work is the keeping of reports and records. A minute log is kept by each officer when he's out on patrol. He keeps track of everything he does during a shift. In case there's a question as to what an officer was doing at a certain time, reference can be made to the log. After a short stop for dinner, Officer Ward is on the streets. At 7.10 p.m., a call is received to return to the station and call a person on a house watch. The department checks homes for people when they are gone. As he drives down Pine Street, a noise filters in over the street sounds. It is soon recognizable as the ringing of a burglar alarm. He whips his car in front of the Penner Auto Supply, checks the front door, radios his sergeant, then pulls around to the alley and checks the back door. They're locked. Now the waiting begins for the store owner to come. Ward answered the call at 8.15 p.m. Over the radio, the information is transmitted that the owner is gone and someone else will come and open up the store. Confident that no one is inside, Officer Ward comments. The wind can sometimes set the alarms off. 35 minutes later, at 8.50 p.m., the alarm is still ringing. Finally, a man comes and opens the store. Ward leads the way to check the interior. Nothing. At 9 p.m., he is finally back on the beat, glad to be away from the incessant ringing. Exeter Sun, September 4, 1974. Stella Burkett, a housewife who resides at 113 South H Street, returned home at 2 p.m. on September 1st to find her house had been broken into and the icebox and freezer opened. The estimated loss due to spoilage and possible theft is still undetermined. Laura Lynn Jones, 327 Portola Avenue, reported a $60 theft from her purse. Entry was apparently gained through an unlocked side door. Exeter Sun, October 9, 1974. From the police blotter. Lorraine Lambert, 
224 South H in Exeter, had a brick thrown through her window before midnight Saturday night. It landed on a three-year-old boy who was sleeping on the couch but was unhurt. Exeter Sun, October 30, 1974. Grand Theft Investigated Sheriff's deputies are investigating a grand theft in the rural Exeter area. On October 26, Robert Chester Walter Sr. left his home for a short period to work on his ranch. During his absence of approximately 30 minutes, items valued at $1,745 were removed from his house and guest house. They include a hairdryer, tape recorder, clock radio, and a shotgun. Robert Walter was the father of Don, the owner of the ham radio equipment stolen in 1969, and Walter lived on a neighboring ranch. The date of this burglary was really interesting to us. His son Don had recently died at age 48 from cancer, so the break-in was particularly cruel, and it was about two weeks before Jennifer Armour was killed and found in the canal right by his ranch. Exeter Sun, January 29, 1975. Exeter police played a major role in apprehending two Visalia juveniles accused of auto theft. Officer Joe D'Angelo and Sergeant Paul Gomez of the Exeter police captured the youths after the car in which they were riding struck an olive tree on Road 196 near the Tulare Lindsay Highway. The youths led three law enforcement agencies on a high-speed chase through parts of Farmersville and Exeter early Tuesday, January 21st. From the Exeter Sun, March 19, 1975. Mike L. Defriage reported to police that a car battery was taken from his automobile parked at 109 Bryant Court. He valued the battery at $40. Mike Defriage's house and his grandmother's house had been prior targets. He had one uncle who had been Exeter PD and another that was TCSO. From the Exeter Sun, April 23, 1975. A city sanitation worker recovered a $275 camera from a trash can Thursday morning. Using a license number engraved on the camera, police safely returned the camera to its owner, Mary Jewel Cunningham of 125 Bryant Court. Rare coins and cultured black pearls worth a total of $98 were taken from the Diana Cross home at 325 West Willow over the weekend. Nearly $45 was taken from a piggy bank belonging to Alan Castleman of 257 South Orange, Exeter, sometime late Friday or early Saturday, according to police reports. Exeter Sun, April 30, 1975. Cash and trading stamps valued at $20 were taken from the residence of Junior Ray Qualls, 380 South Belmont, Exeter, last Thursday. Exeter Sun, May 7, 1975, from the police blotter. Nearly $31 in cash and food was taken from the home of Alan Castleman, 257 South Orange Street, in Exeter last week. Castleman was hit twice within a couple of weeks. From the Exeter Sun, May 21, 1975. Five false alarms. Local firemen had their arms full this week, full of false alarms. They responded to five of them since last Wednesday. Exeter Sun, May 28, 1975. Exeter Area Crime reported. Thieves entered the locked North Belmont residence of Allen Lee on May 20th and removed a color television and guns valued at $1,399. This was the home of Don Lee a few months prior to Donna's murder. Shortly after this burglary, they moved to the house in the corner of Marinette and Anderson, 
where Donna was last seen. Exeter Sun, May 28, 1975. An Exeter juvenile reported to police that a bicycle was stolen from his Exeter residence early Saturday morning. The bike was found a few hours later in the alley behind the 100 block of A Street. A five-foot section of fence at the home of F.E. Stewart of 400 North E Street was destroyed sometime late Wednesday or early Thursday. The destroyed fence belonged to the same Mr. Stewart who spoke out about how to stop burglaries after several houses in his neighborhood were hit. Exeter Sun, July 23, 1975. From the police blotter. Police have arrested three Farmersville juveniles in connection with the $1,760 July 3rd burglary of Pete S. Agoyo. Exeter Police Investigator Joseph D'Angelo said that part of the items in the burglary have been recovered. More arrests are pending, according to D'Angelo. From the Exeter Sun, July 30, 1975. Four stores broken into last night. Four Exeter businesses were broken into sometime late last evening, July 29, or early this morning. Exeter Mercantile, Epperson's Food Market, Paragon Cleaners, and Pete's Place were all forcibly entered. Police have not released any information as to what was taken from the buildings. Officer Joe D'Angelo said that an extensive investigation is being conducted and will be continued until every investigative lead is exhausted. Exeter Sun, August 20th, 1975. Car overturns in yard. Arrest the driver. Dwayne Robinson, 22, of Exeter, was arrested by Exeter police on the charge of driving under the influence of liquor when his car overturned on the yard at 300 South Quince on August 18th at 3.30 p.m. A passenger, Lee Megergy, 21, of Exeter, was arrested on two counts of assaulting a police officer. Officer Farrell Ward was struck in the face by Megergy and was later cut on the knee by broken glass when he went to the ground in a struggle to handcuff his assailant. He was later treated at Exeter Memorial Hospital and received stitches to his knee. Officer Joe D'Angelo also received minor knee injuries. From the Exeter Sun, October 1, 1975. Window of home shot out, third in last six months. Marie Price reported to Exeter Police that someone had shot out a window at 135 North Orange. Two other windows have been broken at the residence in the last six months. Glenn A. Weaver found two small boxes at the intersection of Pine and Orange Streets. The contents proved to be miscellaneous items of jewelry, it is not yet known if the jewelry is connected with local burglaries. Exeter Sun, October 15, 1975. TV rifle stolen here. Pearly E. Bailey of 431 South I Street, Apartment C, reported that a portable color TV and a 22 rifle were taken from her residence. The burglar entered by removing a screen from the window. The estimated loss was $500. Lori Jared reported the loss of a 26-inch 10-speed bicycle taken from the side yard of her residence at 709 West Maple. From the Exeter Sun, October 29, 1975. Thefts are investigated. The Bryant Court home of Norman Thompson was ransacked and numerous articles, many of undetermined value, were taken sometime between October 21 and 23rd. Entry was made by breaking a window. Among the stolen items were several watches, two mandolins, two books of old-time mandolin music, a Masonic ring, 97 old silver dollars, 30 Kennedy half dollars, 
$300 worth of miscellaneous coins, three boxes of 22 caliber shells, several rings, a flashlight, and a Roman coin dated 50 BC. There could be a really important clue for Sacramento here. Unless they can find the Maggiore murder weapon or develop D'Angelo's DNA profile from the shoelaces, they are going to need as much circumstantial evidence as they can possibly get. The mandolins and book are really specific, and Sacramento should see if they can find them. Were those items given as a gift to a family member or friend? Are they in his house? It could be absolutely nothing, but they should be checking for all identifiable items stolen by the Exeter Ransacker, the VR, EAR, and ONS. From the Exeter Sun, November 12, 1975. Personnel changes made in Exeter Police Department. James Burns has resigned as lieutenant of the Exeter Police Department, a position he has held for more than a year. Burns has returned to his native state, Colorado, where he will go into business. Sergeant Gary Fox, a three-year veteran of the force, will assume some of Burns' duties while retaining the rank of sergeant. Joe D'Angelo has been promoted to sergeant and will replace Sergeant Fox on the anti-burglary team. D'Angelo has been with the department for two years. Also on November 12th, Burglars hit Holmes store. The residence of Thomas Floyd Hardiman at 503 Albert was ransacked while he visited a friend November 6th and burglarized money, jewelry, and blank checks. A bedroom window was broken, possibly by a shovel, which was found near the point of entry. Estimated loss of the stolen property is $757. Mr. and Mrs. Francis J. Madsen were burglarized at their 230 Crespi home of silver coins, silverware, and some jewelry with a total value of $3,515. Their housekeeper, Inez Rydens, reported the theft and that the house had been ransacked while the Madsons were away for the weekend. Exeter Sun, November 26, 1975. Police ask for help from all citizens by Police Chief Henry Fry. The Exeter Police Department is asking for the help of all city residents to combat the ever-growing number of burglaries. We ask that you report any suspicious activity you may see. This does not mean that you really have to get involved if you don't want to. Any report of suspicious activity will be checked out. Persons who are going to be away from home overnight or for a few days should ask a neighbor to make periodic checks of the home. This will supplement the checks made by the police. A stepped-up campaign by the police and some concerned citizens is already underway. This means more intensive patrolling during the months ahead, and this is especially true during the holidays. As we assumed, Exeter PD had a program of checking on houses while the owners were away. We'll just let that soak in. Exeter Sun, February 11, 1976. Virginia Hayden discovered that a burglar had entered her residence at 325 Kawea while she was away from home. A calculator, cash, and costume jewelry valued at $150 had been taken. From the Exeter Sun, February 18, 1976. Silverware stolen residence. The residence of Norman Britton at 715 Sequoia Drive was burglarized and ransacked on February 15th. Silverware, stamps, and coins valued at $2,249, were taken. Although Dr. Britton lived across the street from Donna's friend Carol Britton, they were not related. His house had also suffered a reported theft of hedge trimmers in September of 1972. From the Exeter Sun, March 17, 
1976. Kenneth L. Jones of 317 North Korea reported the loss from his residence of a pink lunchbox filled with old silver coins valued at $200. David Whitman of 132 South Filbert left his bicycle parked on the dirt road on the tracks at Waterman's Foundry. Upon his return, 10 minutes later, the bike was gone. It's a Sears 27-inch boys 10-speed orange-colored bike valued at $50. Exeter Sun, April 7, 1976. Police investigate vandalism, theft. Three car windows were broken on the night of April 3rd, and extra police believe the acts of vandalism may be connected and possibly done by one person with a blunt instrument. Leon Winter had a window broken on the passenger side of his car, which was parked near his residence at 300 North C Street. Louis Jolly of 249 South Orange found the rear window of his car had been shattered, the damage an estimated $75. Harold Merrifield found a shattered rear window in his pickup, which was parked near his residence at 233 North E Street. From the Exeter Sun, April 21, 1976. A false alarm was turned in from the corner of Kowea Ave and Firebaugh on April 14. Visalia Times Delta, May 11, 1976. Anti-burglary funds okayed. Funds from federal, state, and local governments will pay the salaries of two officers, Sergeant Greg Lanford of Farmersville and Sergeant Joe D'Angelo of Exeter. The two officers will investigate burglaries and attempt to prevent them by informing the public about burglary prevention methods. From the Exeter Sun, May 19, 1976. Two jailed for packing shed theft. More arrests pending. Two male suspects have been arrested by Exeter police and charged with suspicion of burglary at the Sequoia packing shed. The crime occurred May 10. Sergeant Joe D'Angelo said the arrests culminated a 42-hour around-the-clock investigation by the Joint Attack on Burglary, JAB, team. The property taken was valued at $5,055. According to D'Angelo, almost all of it has been recovered, some items from as far away as Ivanhoe. D'Angelo said three arrests for possession of stolen property are pending. Exeter Sun, May 26, 1976. Steal four portable televisions. Breaking the street display window of the Exeter Music Store, 137 North E Street in downtown Exeter, burglars carried off four portable television sets. The store owners, Ray and Florence Rivers, were called by telephone around 12.30 a.m. Friday and told that the store window had been broken. This was less than an hour after the alarm was turned in on a fire at Mid Valley Packing Company. Some persons naturally concluded that the packing house fire was started as a diversionary tactic from the downtown burglary, but this theory was discounted by authorities. The night policeman responded to the fire alarm, but Chief of Police Henry Fry said he patrolled the downtown area in their place. From the Exeter Sun, Wednesday, May 26, 1976. Captain Patrick Bowie named Exeter Interim Police Chief. Patrick Bowie, 38, is, quote, on loan from the Visalia Police Department to serve as acting chief until the selection of a new officer is made by the Exeter City Council. Bowie, a captain of the patrol division, is working this week with Chief Henry Fry, whose retirement from the Exeter Police Force after 19 years will take effect May 31. Chief Fry was presented with a plaque and the council adopted a resolution of thanks for his years of service to law enforcement work in the city of Exeter. At this point, it appears that D'Angelo's career in Exeter was progressing by leaps and bounds. 
In three short years, he'd made sergeant and had been chosen to head the special burglary unit. We've heard people say that D'Angelo left Exeter after the McGowan shooting, but that's simply not true. He continued to thrive and accept additional responsibilities within the department. So, what changed between May and August? There may be a couple of hints in those last two articles. The fact that the chief of police was taking out his own car and patrolling Exeter while the regular units responded to false alarms is pretty telling. Fry was on to the diversions and was actively looking for the criminal to strike during those times. Also, Fry was working with the incoming acting chief, Bowie, who was captain of the patrol division in Visalia. Suddenly, the new chief not only knew about the diversion trick, but was also fully versed on the VR and every details of the activities in Visalia. Returning to Visalia was out of the question, and now it appeared that Exeter wasn't going to be any safer. This may have stopped the VR and Exeter ransacker, but the EAR attacked in Sacramento on June 18th and July 17th. From the Exeter Sun, August 25th, 1976. Sergeant Joe D'Angelo has resigned to accept a position as a police officer at Auburn. The next EAR attack was four days after this newspaper story. We have so many questions. Did anyone in Exeter suspect D'Angelo before he left? When VPD put together the VR-EAR connection in early 1977, did Exeter law enforcement notice the timing and location relative to D'Angelo? Is that why Bob Byrd immediately ordered the destruction of all of the physical evidence in the Richmond case? The Armour and Richmond homicides and Clifton conviction need so much more press attention than they are getting, which right now is about zero. So how does all of this make us rethink the VR? It always bothered us that the VR seemed to pride himself on having a signature MO. It felt like a stupid, arrogant way to attract unnecessary police attention. And nothing about the VR, EAR, or ONS seemed dumb or careless. When D'Angelo was identified, a large part of this behavior made sense. His motivation obviously extended beyond whatever satisfaction he got within those houses and the pain he caused the residents. He wanted to terrorize entire neighborhoods and communities, garner press attention, get a cool moniker, and, obviously, make the police look like incompetent idiots. However, looking at Exeter, we've realized that the Visalia ransackings were also a diversion. The VR was an out-to-dinner burglar. He started early in the evening, depending on when it got dark, and stopped when people were returning home for the night. We think he was actually working a double shift, obvious ransackings in the evening, and peeping, prowling, and cat burglaries at night. As we mentioned before, VPD had patrol sectors with different cars assigned to each. Ransacking victims who came home between 9 p.m. and midnight immediately noticed screens on their beds, jewelry boxes on their pool tables, and clothing strewn about. It probably took 30 seconds before they called the police. Where were VPD officers for the next hour or two, safely off patrol at the ransacking scene? Since we know his personal motives were sexual in nature, we believe he used that time to watch his targets and even enter their homes while they slept. It's clear from the reports that he made two different trips to the Snelling House on 9-11-75. During the early evening visit, the AC failed. The family opened the windows, and Beth and her boyfriend heard someone outside her bedroom window. Her attacker then returned much later, after midnight. 
he left his borrowed bike on the neighbor's lawn. He took the back window screen across the street to the neighbor's trailer, entered the house, and looked through Mrs. Snelling's purse on the back patio, possibly looking for her car keys. He left the back door and gate open, and then he entered the house to take Beth. We're not aware of any diversion that night, but we wouldn't be. The Snelling investigators focused solely on confirmed VR burglaries, and the Times Delta didn't cover every little police call the way the Exeter Sun did. We have no way of knowing if the VPD patrol officers were on the scene of a false alarm or vandalism call when Claude Snelling was shot. Maybe there wasn't a diversion during the Snelling attack, and maybe VPD responded too quickly. However, the night of the McGowan shooting, there was most definitely a ransacking on Laurel, a quarter mile due south of the Jane Smith residence. The residents of the home had been away for dinner and called the police when they returned home. VPD responded directly from the McGowan shooting scene. It was the loot from that ransacking left at the McGowan scene that sealed the connection between the incidents. We've always looked at that as the VR just out doing his thing that night, but now we see it as early activity meant to draw VPD down to Laurel while he moved on to watching Jane Smith get ready for bed. Peepy may have been the least of his plans that night. McGowan may have saved her life. The EAR also tried out the dinnertime MO a couple of times, attacking teen girls while their parents were gone for a few hours in the evening. Both of those victims were also taken outside like Beth Snelling. He abandoned the evening and outside attacks early in the series, but it's the first ones where you can really feel the VR. We know that there were many, many ransacking burglaries during the EAR attacks. Sergeant Vaughn consulted with the burglary unit in Sacramento and read their reports. We have no information on the dates, times, and locations of these burglaries and whether or not they were timed to divert police resources during his prowling and rapes. It would be interesting for Sacramento to have a look at those and also try to get a sense of any other diversionary calls on those nights and early mornings. We're sure there are other patterns and crimes to be discovered. We've only identified the ones he meant for us to see.